Welcome to Sound Mind, Sound Body Stories, a podcast powered by ASICS. I'm Tegan Nash, and this is a show for anyone and everyone on a mission to improve their health physically and mentally. Our guest this week on Sound Mind, Sound Body Stories is triathlete Jake Birdwhistle. I spoke to Jake from his training camp in Spain about many things, including how the pandemic has impacted his journey to the Olympics. Jake made a splash on the international scene at the Commonwealth Games in 2018, winning individual silver. But it was the 2019 World Triathlon season that saw him win two World Triathlon Series races, which put him firmly on track for Tokyo 2021. This is my chat with Jake Birtwistle. Jake, thanks so much for chatting with us today. How are you going? Uh, No worries. Yeah, I'm going really good. Thank you. Now, I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, you're a triathlete. A triathlon, for me, it sort of looks like a little bit of a lonely sport or just like very solitary. You know, you're by yourself. You're with your own thoughts in your mind. How did you get into that? Um, Yeah, it definitely has its moments like that, especially over the last 12 months. There was a lot of um, solitary training and a lot of uh, time all by myself just with my thoughts. How I got into it, I don't really know exactly. It all kind of just fell into place, I guess. My parents tell a story from when I was maybe four or five years old. We kind of were out going for a walk one day and basically stumbled across a triathlon the Devonport Triathlon, it's one of the oldest in Australia or longest running events in Australia. And I watched it and I apparently I was just like amazed by this. And kind of ever since I was really young, always wanted to do one myself. Eventually, I think I was in grade six, so like 12 years old. Wow. An event came through the, the school newsletter to do like a Weet-Bix Kids Triathlon. Um, yeah. And I was super keen, like I convinced mum and dad to let me do it. And then like a few days beforehand, it got cancelled. So I was devastated. But then uh, somehow found out that there was like a proper local triathlon on the same weekend, which was obviously like probably three, four times the distance. Um, But I, I got myself into that and really I just loved it. I wasn't very good at the time. Um, I was always quite a good runner, just like naturally, but like swimming and biking was all super new to me and kind of just have done it ever since. And I guess it's kind of snowballed into getting quite good at it and then just becoming what I do. Yeah. And you come from a family of competitiveness or, you know, were your parents into sport? Not really into sport. They definitely have got into it since I have. I think my dad, especially like mum would never let me go out and train on like the bike by myself so she always made dad so when I like bought a a $50 secondhand road bike from a garage sale she made him buy the other one and um, so I basically just forced him to kind of come out with me so she was happy that we were both safe so he's kind of started like continued and now he like he rides and runs all the time as well yeah other than that it wasn't obviously like sporty in terms of just like growing up I think as a lot of uh, Australian kids especially you kind of yeah. just get involved in all sorts of sports and kind of just play around and see what kind of fits. Try everything. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of how I fell into triathlon, yeah. And also kind of nice being so young and having your dad out there with you. It's a good, like, a good sort of support, family support. Yeah, yeah, it was always nice out on the roads. And, uh, yeah, even now he doesn't ride with me as much anymore, but when I'm home it's always nice to kind of get out for an easy ride with him as well. So it's always yeah. good fun. So you grew up in Tassie. 
beautiful place. Uh, and you rose to the attention of coaches fairly, fairly early on when you were still at school. While all the other kids were, you know, maybe going to uni or thinking about being footy players, tradesmen, uh, did you ever have a plan of how your life might pan out? And if so, have you stuck to that original plan or are you still workshopping it? It's it's um, a work in progress still, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, I always had like a backup plan. I guess I was quite talented, pretty young, and that was kind of recognized. So I kind of, I guess, fell into like high performance like programs from when I was kind of like midway through high school. I'd kind of done like camps at the AIS and kind of was recognized as someone with quite a lot of potential, I guess. So, mm. yeah. So probably from when I was like 14 or 15, I guess being an athlete kind of actually seemed like a, a pretty reasonable goal for me. And obviously that's something that I'd always wanted to do was to kind of be a professional athlete and compete in a sport that I love as a job, I guess. Yeah. Just one, one step led to another. And, um, yeah, basically, as soon as I finished like my last year 12 exam, I flew off and, and basically started living the life of a professional athlete since then. How good. And so does that have you traveling a fair bit? Because you're not in Australia right now. You're overseas. Yeah, do you travel a lot? Uh, yeah, so currently I'm in, in Spain, in Girona, which is where my training group often spends a lot of time throughout the season yeah basically we're forced to travel because our world series is mostly european based fortunately for australians we basically double up on summers every year <laughs> so i'll spend uh, anywhere from i guess three to six eight months overseas a year in a standard year which is obviously quite demanding and quite a lot of time yeah so the sport is, you know, we spoke about very early on about it being solitary, but you have a training group. So I guess that that's kind of, you know, your your support system. You know, what's it like having a group that you train with? Yeah, having a group is, is huge. Like the difference that it makes to help you get out there every day and train. We're training probably average 25 to 30 hours a week. So essentially it's it's three sessions, like a swim, a bike and a run almost every day. Um, yeah. No days off for 50 weeks of the year, basically. So it's pretty, pretty demanding and it's very repetitive as well. So to be able to get out there and uh, and train with other people and kind of share in that hurt and the, the suffering of all the training and uh, kind of the mind numbingness of just repetitively doing the same thing and just making those tiny improvements um there's something about doing it with other people kind of like-minded people on the on the same path with the same goals just makes it that that little bit easier oh it would for sure and just yeah having other people around you when you don't have that motivation you know you see someone else you're like yes I can do this but thankfully we have a kind of a, a real good dynamic in the group as well like we're all kind of racing for that same position I guess to win the race but on a training day we're all there to kind of like support each other so we really do feel like a team rather than kind of feel like competition so we have like the dynamic we can we can really allow someone to beat you in a training session which I think is, is not super common for athletes um, you kind of want to win all the time but kind of looking at the bigger picture and recognizing that some days 
I can take it a bit easier and that's okay. Having that environment is something that's like a massive key, I think, to how our group runs and, and why we've been so successful over the last few years. And yeah, it definitely makes it an easy group to be a part of, knowing that it's kind of so easygoing and, and free, I guess. You know, it's obviously very taxing on your body, the repetitive training that you're doing. But what about your mind? How do you get your mind in check to prepare for a race or even to prepare for training? Yeah, to prepare for training, I guess, once you've begun like a training phase, you kind of just feel like you're in this bubble Mm -hmm. and there's almost like there's nothing else going on. So it's almost you wake up and kind of have that training plan there and some days it, it just feels like kind of ticking off each session. But kind of knowing, I guess, I'm I'm quite goal-orientated and uh, aspirationally motivated, I suppose, I would say. So I kind of know what I want to achieve and know that every time I can kind of get out the door and get a training session done, it's going to be one step closer to that. So that's kind of, I guess, how I would motivate myself and kind of keep everything in check leading into it, into like just the training block of constant suffering I guess every day (laughs) constant suffering (laughs) can I ask what appeals to you about being an athlete uh, especially a triathlete you know what what's your why what's your purpose I guess a kind of a tough one to answer I don't really know like I don't know why I do this like it's super hard (laughs) it obviously must be some element uh, of enjoyment or satisfaction that you have yeah absolutely like even like on a race day for example like you wake up and it's just like, oh gosh, what am I getting myself into today? But as soon as you kind of cross that finish line, it just, it always feels so good, no matter how well the event went or like whatever the place you came, it just feels like a massive kind of weight off your shoulders and such a a refreshing feeling. It's so good to kind of get that done and kind of be able to kind of share that feeling um, with others around you and then set yourself a new goal and then do the same, like progress forward to that next one. How do you plan for a race? Uh, do you have any strategies or any rituals that you do before? Well, I always try and keep like the lead up pretty similar. And just like even with the training from like a week out, we pretty well do the exact same thing before every race. I try and avoid having any unusual superstitions or anything like that just because, well, I guess personally it's not something that's, I guess I'm that concerned about, but very much because uh, traveling all over the world, different races in unknown places, I think it'd be super hard to kind of get some of those things dialed in every race. And I'd hate to have one thing that I love to do before a race. And then uh, I'm in a location where I can't do it. So I try and avoid things like that and try and just keep everything chilled and kind of just go with the flow as much as you can. And how was COVID for you? So you were in Spain when COVID start, started, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I had gone over over to Spain early in the year, like the start of January. Obviously, 2020 was meant to be the Olympic year. So I was going to do the full season with the training group, whereas often kind of in years before, I would spend a bit longer at home and then kind of join the join the group later on closer to the events but I was like okay I'm going to commit fully this year and just surround myself with with the group for the for as long as possible so yeah I was over in in Spain in the Canary Islands through January February 
And that was very early days when we kind of started to hear like a whisper of this coronavirus that was going around. And then we had our first event was scheduled for Abu Dhabi. And I think we were a day away from getting on the plane and that event got cancelled. So we kind of had to scramble and find somewhere to live for the next week because we had no accommodation and we needed to find flights to kind of get Get ourselves somewhere. I actually flew to where I am now, spent a week here in Girona in Spain. Our original plan was to head over to the US because our next event was meant to be Bermuda. So we were flying to do a bit of heat prep in Florida, ended up kind of getting there. And I think I was there for maybe five days. And then uh, things started getting pretty hectic, like the supermarkets, every shelves were empty and things started to kind of get quite scary, I guess. How did you cope with that? Because I feel like in Australia, things were pretty much pretty under control the only thing that really got hoarded was toilet paper for some bizarre reason yeah Uh, but I couldn't imagine being you know in America and also like having to leave Spain having events cancelled getting to a, a Florida and yeah what was that like how did you cope yeah well I guess kind of going back to that kind of group mentality like we were all in it together so that was kind of nice and like refreshing we were able to just say well that race or that event is done let's move on to the next one And I feel like as an athlete, you have to kind of be really good and be able to adapt and kind of just move on from something and say, okay, on to the next, on to the next. But after, obviously after a little while, it started to become pretty clear that next one might be some time away. So yeah, I kind of, I made the, at the time, really tough decision to, to fly back to Australia. At this stage, like the Olympics were still scheduled. So I kind of felt like I was taking an easy option out in terms of kind of coming home where it was safe rather than kind of staying to prepare with the training group. But I remember, I think by the time I'd touched down in Australia, everyone else from the group had said, oh, I'm getting out of here as well. It's like kind of, it was almost like a thing like no one really wanted to talk about it, but I think everyone was feeling the same way. And I was kind of the first one to like commit and just say, I'm, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, yeah, well, as I was back home doing my quarantine, things became pretty clear that that year was basically going to be a write-off. Did you have to do the two, weeks, the two weeks quarantine when you flew back in? I, I did, did but not. Before? this was before hotel quarantine. So I was just yeah. kind of at home, um, which I think was a lot easier. And then, and then how did the rest of lockdown go? Uh, Tassie was, I know, sort of closed off to the rest of Australia and, and the world. Uh, I think you guys opened your borders maybe October, September, October. So is that when you sort of started training again or met up with the training group or what, what were your movements after that? Yeah, well, I never, I never really stopped training. So it was actually while I was in quarantine that the Olympics was postponed, which at the time was actually really like good news for me because I felt like I wasn't yeah. somewhere where I could fully prepare so that was kind of like a big relief, I guess. But yeah, for I continued training the, the entire time. Um, was just doing everything by myself, which like, kind of, I guess, made for some quite long, long days. I'd never been into podcasts before really, but I was listening to yeah. 20 podcasts a week while I was out training. While you were training? Um, just, yeah, just to kind of keep something kind of going on. Otherwise, I think I would have just got lost in my thoughts and would have been a lot harder, I think. So it's kind of nice to kind of have that to just switch off while you're out for, say, a four-hour bike ride by yourself. You know, I guess it must be hard 
training so much, do you find that you have a pretty good balance between training and your personal life? Yes and no, I guess. I feel like there's a lot of things that I'm interested in and that I kind of have as things that I'm passionate about, but not necessarily things that I do often. So yeah, like it is, it is super demanding, um, the training and kind of knowing that and knowing that there's kind of, I guess, a limited time frame when I can do this at my peak, I kind of just put that first. Um, so like even like, I guess, obviously now things are kind of locked down still a little bit here, but in a normal year, we're in all these beautiful locations that like we've done training camps in Majorca and up in the Pyrenees Mountains, like really nice locations where people would go as tourists and have an amazing time. We kind of do our training and then we'll hop back into bed and have a nap and help us recover for the next session that, that day. And kind of you miss out on a lot, I guess. Um, yeah. But when you're so... I guess, striving for a particular goal, you kind of make those choices to leave no stone unturned, I guess you'd say. Um, just try and make, get the best out of yourself. And then kind of, I guess, the life of extra hobbies and different things that interest me can kind of come after that a bit more. Is there anything that you do to switch off? Yeah, I guess it's it's just like, it could be anything from just like putting on Netflix and watching that kind of getting about triathlon and listening to music and things. I, I'm really into photography, but obviously you're kind of out on your legs walking around. Once the training kind of ramps up a bit, the camera just is basically collecting dust for a few months of the year, <laughs> which, which is fine. Obviously, like I kind of make that choice to, I guess, fully commit and uh, neglect the kind of social and a bit more enjoyable parts of the lifestyle and just really try and get the best out of my body. Yeah. And let's talk about an actual race. You've obviously got it down to a fine skill, uh, you know, changing the shoes in between. Talk me through the mechanics of that. Or the way Olympic distance triathlons work, um, you don't have time for any luxuries, basically. Yeah. Um, you're in the same race suit for the swim, bike and run. You're not getting changed. You're not drying yourself. Um, it's wet shoes straight or wet feet straight into shoes, which can get get pretty ugly, I guess, in a, in a two-hour race. But um, yeah. if it saves one second, it's worth doing. So that's kind of just how it is. You have to toughen yourself up a bit and just kind of get on with it. But, yeah, I've, I've this year I've just started using the Metaspeed um, which is by far my favorite racing shoe. It's, yeah, it's levels above kind of what, where I've been at and what I've been using for the last few years. And I think shoe tech in general has made such big gains in the last, yeah. I'd say, four years. Um, and, yeah, so it's really good to have a, have a shoe like that that like a confident in that is world-class and that kind of is is actually helping my performance rather than kind of just something you put on your feet, which is kind of, I guess, how I looked at it for years. So interesting. We are, we heard from a psychologist not long ago and we were talking about uh, support and how important it is for an athlete or for anyone to have support. But I guess for you, not just professionally, but in your personal life as well. So where do you find that support? I get most of it, obviously like the people just around me so I have like coaches and training partners that are kind of going through the same thing basically 
But outside of that is the obvious ones of just family, my girlfriend. Obviously, different time zones make things a little bit difficult, but we're basically am either messaging her or, or calling her nonstop, <laughs> which is, it's just, I don't know, some people think it's strange, I guess. It's just kind of how we've been forever. Being uh, that age of being on a mobile phone all the time, you kind of just am always, even if you have nothing to say, we'll always be messaging at least. And so having having someone like that that you can I can literally go to for anything and just kind of whether it be a rant or just like asking questions or whatever or just helping to have something else outside of sport is super important for me. How did you cope early on? Because I guess you guys are probably used to it now, but the long distance, especially being away for so long and, and the time zone. Yeah, it's tough, definitely. Yeah, I think unfortunately it's probably tougher for the person that's not traveling and, and doing all this mm-hmm. stuff that I'm doing. So I definitely feel bad for putting her through it. But she's kind of, we've been together since high school, so it's almost been 10 years now. Wow. So she was yeah, like literally there from the beginning of it all when it started off as a, a six-week training camp that felt like we were apart forever. Yeah. And now <laughs> we've had times where it's probably been six months. And usually like we, she'll try and kind of fly out to wherever I am as much as she can. But obviously now during COVID, it's not really That's a possibility. So it's given me kind of a... I guess one one more thing to look forward to for getting home. Yeah, it would definitely be nice if if things are a bit easier at the moment um, in terms of travel and everything. But yeah, as I've learned in the last fortnight since kind of leaving Australia, things are, are not so simple at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess it would even be a little strange at the Olympics this year just not having support networks be able to come and cheer you on and sort of have that big audience participation. It's it's such a peculiar time for any athlete. Yeah, definitely. And I think like obviously this isn't what you dreamed of when you're a child and you wanted to go to the Olympics because you saw it on TV and you saw Australian athletes kind of wearing the green and gold and at the pinnacle of sport. You didn't imagine it to be in in Japan with no crowds and no yeah. family or anyone there to support. It's going to be pretty strange. But I think after the last 12 months we've all had, it's just going to be, I guess, a big success to even get a race in at the Olympics. Sadly, it's not going to be, I think, the experience that usually would. But at this point, I think most athletes will be happy with anything. Yeah. And you know, you're you're a medal hopeful for Australia. I know you're running for gold. So how are you preparing yourself for that mentally and physically? I don't know. I guess it's not something you really try and think about too much. The preparation is kind of the same as for any other race. And maybe maybe COVID's gonna make it easier because they say like the Olympics, it's just another race, but there's all this extra stuff going on around it, which is what makes it a real challenge. And I guess that's why like some people will get there and it kind of completely break down and because there's so much kind of going on and all that extra pressure um, and everyone you've ever met through your journey is kind of there supporting you, um, whether on the ground or at home or whatever. So like maybe this this year it's going to be easier because you're there by yourself like a lot of the journey it's kind of been a a one-man kind of show Mm. um, to get there and race maybe a bit simpler I guess and kind of flying in racing and kind of getting out and kind of avoiding all the extra noise and things that are going on who knows it might it might make things a bit 
a bit simpler, I guess. Yeah, in terms of like what I'm actually doing to prepare, it's basically just the same as, as a normal race. We still just have to swim, bike and run <laughs> and uh, and kind of do that to the best of our ability. So that's all we can really do, I guess. So imagine yourself, uh, you are, you know, so young and some, being somewhat of an inspiration to kids who are maybe looking to get into athletics and especially uh, triathlons. What do you say to kids who might look up to you and want to be where you are now? I guess you just, I'd say, give it a try. Um, <laughs> I'd like this is doing what I'm doing now is something that I'd kind of dreamed about, but there was never like a, a time where I thought, can I do this or not? It was kind of always just like literally one step led to another. Um, it just snowballed into where it is now. The progressions were small at the time, but over years of doing it consistently, I've become someone that can kind of line up on a start line at any event in the world and think I can win this today and kind of know that and have that confidence that I can actually do that. But yeah, it definitely, it didn't start like that. It kind of always just started out as something I did for fun. I liked the challenge of doing, especially the triathlon. I remember going to school days after doing the race and still having a number on my arm or on my leg. And like, I wouldn't scrub it off or anything. I'd kind of leave it there. So I, someone would oh, ask a question, oh, what's that? And then I would say my story about how I did this massive event and I thought I was so cool. Um, <laughs> and it kind of just, I guess, enjoy the whole journey. Um, and that's kind of what I've tried to do from the beginning. It was always just about something, something that I did and really loved. And now I'm kind of doing it, doing what I love, but doing it to be the best, I guess. And what's your take on the ASICS philosophy, sound mind in a sound body? What what does that mean for you? Um, yeah, I guess it means just kind of keeping everything in check. Uh, I think as an athlete, especially, obviously, you know the importance of like mechanically, like everything working with your body for your all your training and all your races and kind of getting that consistency in. And it's something that I think over the last probably, or even over my career, I think, which I guess isn't that long, five to seven years, um, there's been a big shift in kind of the mental approach as well. Mm. And realizing that, like kind of driving yourself into the ground um, and kind of suffering like that isn't the best way to prepare, even if it is maybe physically for some people, if you're kind of mentally not there and not enjoying what you're doing and not confident it's not going to to give the outcomes it otherwise might so trying to find that balance of having other interests and and doing things out and kind of even just having thoughts outside of triathlon is really is really important i think and and really helps me kind of get that right balance i guess and i mean you've got many years left in the sport according to the plan but after tokyo what's next for you do you have a plan uh, I have a, a loose plan I guess uh, <laughs> obviously post Tokyo well, since it's been delayed we're pretty well straight into com games mm. so that's kind of the the immediate goal afterwards and then uh, as soon as we kind of get that out of the way we're straight back into Paris 2024 Olympics because of this 12-month delay of Tokyo yeah. this next three years is going to be pretty hectic yeah it kind of is all going to I guess, just flow into one another. Um, so for me, definitely um, in the last year or so, I've decided that I will commit through to Paris doing the Olympic racing. For a while, I thought 
I might change things up after Tokyo and go maybe try different aspects of the sport, kind of do some longer distance racing and a bit more, I guess, open, kind of change things up a little bit. But like I'm 26 now and kind of am training with the the last three world champions in my training group and I see their progression in their late 20s into their 30s. And one day it kind of just clicked and thought, if I stop when I'm 26, there's going to be so much missed potential, I think. As someone that's like very motivated, obviously by winning and, and doing events like that, but in actually kind of seeing how good I can get as well, I think it would be a, a massive missed opportunity to kind of switch things up too soon. So yeah, now I'm already motivated for 2024 Paris Olympics. And then I guess I'll, I'll start having the same thoughts kind of as we get closer to that one, decide what's next, whether I think it's still obviously possible to, to go through to LA in 28. But we'll see. It'll probably look a little bit different by that stage. That sounds amazing. Well, Jake, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Good luck at Tokyo, then the Com Games, then Paris, and hopefully LA after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> thank you very much for that. It's been great chatting. Thank you. What a focused guy Jake is. I think he is right. The Olympics are going to be very interesting this year. Different, to say the least. Best of luck, Jake. I look forward to hopefully seeing you on the podium in Tokyo. That's it for Sound Mind, Sound Body Stories this week. I'm Tegan Nash. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from. Coming up next week. On Sound Mind, Sound Body Stories next, we hear from a sportswoman with amazing speed, ball skills and resilience. She was part of the team who won the 2016 Rugby Sevens gold medal for Australia at the Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. Charlotte Kaslik is the golden girl of the Rugby Sevens and also the nicest person you could hope to meet. There are no airs and graces with this farm girl. It hasn't been plain sailing though for Charlotte and injuries have plagued her. There's definitely days where I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm ever going to feel as good as I did say in Rio or like, am I just old or I don't know you kind of like all these things go through your yeah. mind but Charlotte doesn't dwell on the negative in any way and takes everything in her stride I honestly don't feel like my work is work because it's you love doing I it. love doing it so join me Tegan Nash for Sound Mind Sound Body Stories with Charlotte Kaslick new episodes in your feed every Tuesday